Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Very fun. I think it's, a, it's, it's exciting video. It really pumps me up, and I, uh, I think that's the feeling of all our leadership right now because this is an exciting time in, in Hillside's life. Um, so if you're a guest with us, really glad you're here. Stick with us through this process. Um, our staff is going through, we're reading a book called Growing Young, and we're about to spend a half a day together thinking through the implications of the research of these three very, very bright people who are looking at the church and assessing uh, how we're investing in its youth and encouraging these, the older generation to figure out what that means. You start out the book by saying growing old is, is our default. All right, It's inevitable and it's natural. Uh, you see the results of it daily. We are wrinkling and shrinking. Have you seen it? By the time the service is over, you'll be a quarter inch shorter. Um, so uh, what they are saying is that our aging congregations are believed to be one of the reasons and one of the factors uh, in, in, in this thought, think about it. No major Christian tradition is growing in the U.S. today. Not one. Some are holding steady, a couple, but they're not growing. Um, so the studies are highlighting that um, young people get out of high school and they're not following faith. And this is true across cultures. So this, this concept, this idea has to be on our radar. And let me just say this to you in this room right here. If you're 29 or younger, it's awesome that you are here. If you're 29, how many of you are 29 or younger? Let me see your hands. You're studs. <laughs> to see you following Christ, committed to church, and being here, I just want you to know from the bottom of my heart, um, it is great to see you in here. Um, so I, I think the timing of what we're studying together and, and the timing of this campaign couldn't be better uh, as we think through this because legacy is about building into our kids. It's about building into them. So if you're just joining us, we've been planning this for 18 months. This is not anything new to us. It's almost two years old in the making, uh, this campaign. What we're trying to do uh, on March 25th, the campaign launched. It's 1,000 days. We're trying to build a 23,000-square-foot building over here to get rid of the portables that are on the property because we have two goals, uh, two immediate, real, sort of physical goals. One is in three years, and, and, and you'll, you'll see why in a minute, but for three year, in the next three years, we just want to be able to see parents walk in here with their kids and keep them in the same building. We don't want them to have to go to portables. And then we don't want our children's ministry to have to shuffle kids around during services into different portables in order to effectively train them the way we do it here. Um, so that's the reason we're doing this. And you'll see that the timing, strategy, and details are all meshing together to this to be the perfect time to do it. Now to prepare us for this campaign, which launches March 25th, uh, we're walking through the book of Joshua. Um, I told you last week, I think, I don't, I don't want this to just sort of shape, uh, you know, 
what God's doing right here among us at this time, but for the whole year. Uh, the courage to move your mission forward, to not move backward, to not stop, to move forward. That's what Joshua's about. Joshua has incredible applications throughout this series I'm going to show you in different ways. But I want you to know Joshua has a very, very specific mission. He has promises from God, and he's got a preferred future that God wants him to have. And it's going to take effort. It's not going to happen just because God wants it to. They're going to have to work. So what does it mean to carry a mission forward? What do you have to think about? What do you do to keep it moving forward? It's, it's one thing to start. It's another thing to continue. It's another thing. So here we are looking at Joshua, and last week we saw two things in chapter 1 and chapter 3. In chapter 1, we saw the preparation for the crossing of the people of Israel, cross the Jordan, and finally into the promised land. This thing had been promised since Genesis chapter 12. It's a huge day. After 40 years of wandering in a wilderness and the loss of a completely full generation, a whole generation gone, and the only people that crossed over were under 20 that were from the other generation, except for Joshua and Caleb. And God told them that day, I mean, he told them, you're going to wander around in this wilderness for 40 years, and only those of you younger than 20 are going in. So this new generation now is standing in the exact same spot the old generation was, and Joshua lead, led them across the thing. It was very ceremonial. It's a very miraculous moment, you'll see by the end, that he leads them by his presence through these raging waters. The Jordan is pictured as being held back. The entire nation crosses on dry land. And then you get to chapter 4 and 5, which are very interesting. When you consider that this is primarily a military campaign, we're not just crossing in the Jordan, setting up camp, and hanging out. We've got to remove groups of people. There's battles to be fought. It's a military campaign with unskilled and inexperienced people. So when you get to chapters 4 and 5 and they finally cross over, you'd think there'd be this moment where we're all just going to set up boot camp and get everybody trained. It's not what happens. Chapters 4 and 5, it's almost as if in the middle of the action, like the, the middle of the crossing, the sacred moment, presented as very sacred in chapter 3, and even repeated in chapters 4 and 5, but 4 and 5 is a halt to all the action. Commentators note there's just this freeze in the action. When you're reading it in a narrative, it's startling. So you get to chapter 4, they cross over, and here's what happens. Here's the whole text, by the way. Not intended to be read. Just see the color. You know, we like to see the whole text before us. Okay, the top and the bottom is committed to the same concept. That's the emphasis of chapter 4. Chap All the white is repeated of chapter 1. It's just rehearsing that they actually did what I told them to do in chapter 1. The red is the new thing I want you to do now. I mean, right here as soon as we cross. Don't wait to do this. What is it? Let's read it. Here it is. Let's just read the beginning and the end. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, they get through. Lord says to Joshua, take 12 men from the people from each tribe, each tribe of Israel. And I want you to take, the 12, I want you to take 12 stones from here, right here, and it turns out in chapter 4, it's right where they were, the priests were standing with the ark that made the water stop. 
at this very place where their feet stood firmly, bring them over with you and lay them down in a place where, I'll, where we'll lodge tonight. Joshua called the 12 men of the people of Israel, whom he appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulders. God told them to do it, and Joshua was telling them to do it, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. And here's why. Because when your children ask in time, in the time to come, what do these stones mean to you? That's why I want you to do it. You shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. I want you to set up a memorial forever. First thing. Then at the end of the text, this is what you read. So the people come out of the Jordan. You get more details now. A few more details. The people came up out of the Jordan exactly when? On the tenth day of the first month. And they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. Or Yeah, and on those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal, and he said to the people, same thing, going to repeat it. It's mentioned twice for emphasis. When your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? You shall let your children know. I'm going to say it again. Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did for the Red Sea, to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. And here's the ultimate end. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. That you may fear the Lord your God forever. So that's the story. So all of a sudden you get across this and there's this, the ceremonial part of this continues. So even though they're in the plains of Jericho, literally they're in the backyard of Jericho, it will be the first and most formidable fight they will have. If you're in the backyard of your enemy and your first target with a group of people who don't know what they're doing militarily, they have no military technology, no skill, no experience, you almost want to set up boot camp. But that's not what Joshua said. Get back in that water and waste any time. Get back in the river where you stood and grab 12 rocks. Tonight we're having a big ceremony, and I want you to lay them out here. So that's what he does. It's the first thing they do. The first thing they do is think about the next generation. And all I want to do is do that with you today. Is think through what does that mean? Why is it important? To think about the next generation as soon as God did what he did. As soon as we got over here. So again, all the progress stops and we're catapulted into the future. We're catapulted into the future into an imaginary conversation with hypothetical kids. That's the picture here. There's going to come a conversation with the kids. In other words, presumably, your kids are going to have questions. This is a great thought. That your kids and your grandkids will have questions based on what God has done in you. Because those kids are like us. What we learn in this story is that we're, we're, we all want to know how we fit into the bigger story. We were all living out of a narrative. And I think that's a great thing to think about. What is the narrative of your spiritual... Because if, you're, if, if your life is spiritual and you're related to God and you know Christ, then you've got a spiritual narrative you live out of. Not any other narrative. You don't let culture dictate the narrative. You don't let 
uh, circumstances dictate the narrative. You live in out of a certain story, and it impacts how you live it in the present. Now, what, is it, what are we talking about living out of this narrative? Well, Oz Guinness writes about the subject of remembering better than anyone I've ever read. Okay? He says this, the believer's moment-by-moment -moment experience is never autonomous, nor is it a drift, a drift in time, for memory serves to link it to the past. Now, he talks about something which is I think a really good spiritual discipline. Let's talk the redeemed memory. The redeemed memory. Which he goes on to say uh, provides a continuity to the life of faith. And he writes, if this line to the past is not kept open, you know, to future generations, if it's not kept open, rebellion against God is much easier. It's much easier. You can just see the story. If if the present generation isn't doing what they're going to do and they're not leaving a legacy and connecting the future generation to it, that generation is going to wander away and it's going to be easier to do. And that's what happens in Israel's history. You know the book that comes after Joshua? Judges. You know what happens? You ought to read just the first two chapters of Judges. Read just the first two chapters this week of Judges. We're going to talk a little bit about what happens there, but you're going to see it. Here they are at Gilgal. Gilgal becomes one of their three top spiritual bases when Israel gets into Canaan. There's Shechem and Shiloh. Gilgal is one of them. That's where the 12 stones get set up. It's sort of a rallying point. The word Gilgal means circle. Let's circle up here and, and remember what God has done so that we're ready to progress and move forward. Uh, but what happens is, is they bail on Gilgal. They stop coming back. And pretty soon, the next generation's gone. And when you get to Judges, what's the key line? Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. They'd completely disconnected from God. So their rebellion actually happens. This is an incredible message. So these 12 stones get set up. Why 12 and what are the stones? It's unity. The 12 stones picture unity. And that was Joshua's big message at the beginning. We're all going over together. We're all doing this together. It wasn't so much a show of force as solidarity. Hillside, that's important for us. We talked about that last week. We all moving together. We're not all direct beneficiaries of a children's wing. But we will all benefit from it. And we all have to be invested in it. We all have to be committed to it. We've got to move together into the future. So that's what this campaign is about, walking us through that process. Now listen, it's not just unity. It's a memorial. It's a visible reminder that authenticates the past. And as you tell the story, it just makes it real over and over again. Every time we look at the the story becomes real over and over again. So these stones become these sort of solid, weighty reminders of what God has done. Now, let me just say something to you, because this is important, and it'll explain where the application comes in in this text for us. Um, there's no magic in the stones. You don't get around them, you don't touch them, and, you know, Hope something rubs off on you. That's not the thing. No magic in the stones. In other words, thinking about the past isn't enough. It's not enough. Uh, one commentator on, on Joshua, uh, his name's Woodstra, Hebrew scholar, talked a little bit about what it meant for the Hebrews to remember. 
And this is what he says. The notion of remembering in Hebrew is more than a calling to mind. Just thinking about the past. He says it involves a remembering uh, with a real-life, present, living reflection. And then he writes, a call to to a corresponding degree of action. Our fathers put their feet in, in raging waters. Are we putting our feet in raging waters? What are the raging waters God wants us to put our feet in? That's where the stones come. So I want you to imagine that we take a field trip and we go to Gilgal. And we sort of look out over the Jordan and imagine Israel coming across it. And we just have a campfire. We just hillside around the stones of Gilgal. And we're just standing around there and you know we'd have coffee and s'mores and a fire going. And it'd be night and we'd tell a few stories. But many of us would sit around and go, man, don't you wish you were there? This is what Israel would do. Gather around the stone. Don't you wish you were there? How cool would that have been to see those waters part? How cool would it have been to see those priests, the look on those priests' face when they stepped into that raging water and how they must have felt when the last of them stepped on this side of the Jordan that God had promised them for all those years? We would do that. And then like every campfire setting, it'd get quiet, and pretty soon all you'd hear is the crackling of the fire. And then something would have to happen after that. And here's what Oz Guinness says about the redeemed memory. In that moment, picture yourself there. It's quiet. You hear the crackling of the fire, and you're staring at the stones. He says the redeemed memory loses all value if it's only formal. If it's only formal. He says what matters is the heart. It's what happens in your heart in that moment. And, he says, not only what's in your heart, but what's in your heart and its secret whispers before God. This was the line that hit me all week long. All week long, this has just been sort of in my head. What are you whispering to God today? You look at the stones and you go, yeah, they represent the past. There's some great things about the past. And, uh, but are you whispering in God? Are you whispering to God, God, do it again in me. I want that. What do you whisper to God? What do you mumble under your breath to him? So all week long, I've been monitoring that in myself. I've had the luxury of doing that because of this text. And I want to tell you something that uh, I love about the past, and I want to give you a little secret to my own spiritual life. I have spiritual crises. I have doubts. I have days when I don't know if I can muster the strength to do what God wants me to do today. And then there's a big part of me that doesn't even want to. You say, well, what do you do? Well, I'll tell you one of the things I do. I think about the line, the faith line that I'm in. I'm not the first or the last to have to give something up or sacrifice something. I'll go all the way back to Abraham and say, you know, I know how much I love my sons. I know how much I love the community. God said, Pete, I want you to leave everybody you love and go to a whole new place. That's what Abraham had to do. And I think about him and I go, you're a stud. Who am I to imagine that somewhere down the line, I don't have to do that sometimes? And he gives me strength to take the most precious thing to me and remember it isn't mine. That's what I do. Another thing I'll do is I'll think of somebody like Jacob. Jacob's another one of my favorite characters. I relate to him very well. 
And here's a man who, for, the, for a big portion of his life, walked with a limp because he fought with God and he lost. He wrestled with God and he lost. And every single day after that, he took a limp. And every single step he took, he remembered he was dependent on God. That stuff encourages me. I'm saying, Pete, you don't, you don't get to skip around. If Jacob limped, hey, you're probably going to get a little, you're going to get a little injured doing this. If you're going to follow Christ, you're probably going to end up with a few bumps and bruises at the end of this thing, some broken bones. It's not easy following God. And so I remember that, and I think there's a long line of it. I'm not the first to sacrifice. I'm not the first to limp, and I won't be the last. So that gives me encouragement. But here's the thing about this book and what it's saying to us right here, and I want you to see. You can't live off their faith, though. I mean, you can see what they did. You can, you can imagine the limp, and you can imagine sacrificing your own son, and you can see the stones, but at some point, you've got to have your own crossing moment. You know, you need your own crossing moment. And that's what I love about this text. So when you get to the end of this here, when you get to this place, the people come up out of the Jordan. Look at the details of this. This is what I mean by your own crossing moment. People come up out of the Jordan, and now he tells you when, the 10th day of the first month. What's that? That's Nisan the 10th. That's four days before Passover. This is Passover week. Forty years to the day they put their feet on that dry ground. It was 40 years ago to the day that God said, pick the animal, pick the lamb you're going to sacrifice to put blood on the doors of your house. And I want to rescue you from Egypt. And you will not get out of here without the blood. He rescues them from Egypt on that day. And God makes them cross on the exact same time. In chapter 5, they will celebrate Passover. It's all ceremonial in four or five. It's not, military, it's not military training. It's all ceremonial. I want you to camp at Gilgal, so the camp at Gilgal, the 12 stones are gathered, and I want you to think about the future generation. When they ask, you tell them what these stones mean. And then he goes on to explain that again, about how God did it. But look what he says in verse 23 in the connection he makes. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you. That's what he did for you. Let me tell you what he did for us. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up, look for us. Only Joshua and Caleb were there to tell that story. Let us look back on that story. So we're looking back on that story. But you need to know that us crossing the Red Sea isn't enough. You need your own crossing. And now you've crossed, and now God has done it in you. And now there's something to pass on to the next generation. You experienced. Don't keep telling them about the Red Sea. Unless you have a crossing moment, you can pass on to the kids. That's what he's describing. It's powerful. So that means, Hillside, think about this. In your spiritual walk, I'll do it this way since you're looking at me this way. Imagine that your history begins here. You have a history you look back on. But then you've also got to have a powerful present, one that's powerful, one that might provoke questions of a kid when they look at your life. Dad, why do you live that way? Mom, why do you do that? Why do you sacrifice that? Why do you go there? Why have you said you would do that? How did you get on a mission trip? What happened there? Your story that you can pass on to a kid. It's incredibly motivating to imagine living the kind of life that a kid 
would look at you and say, this is, I'll tell you, it's just it's my most important parenting passion. My most important parenting passion is that I might be able to stand with my kids one day and say, it's okay to go through a hard time like that. Because God will take care of you. I've been there. Or it's okay to sacrifice that. You can't believe it. You think you're going to die. Turns out you live. Turns out you actually can get through that. Oh, you want to go on a mission trip, son? Yeah, I've done that. Let me tell you about those. Let me tell you what God will do to you there. You go. You sacrifice whatever you need to sacrifice. That's my parenting passion. Is that I got a, a faith that you pass on. You know, my own personal testimony is sort of folklore in our house. My wife's. God's care and provision for us over the years when we left Miami, had a good job, and came here with literally nothing to start seminary. That's part of the story. Then God's mission here and the things that God has led us to do is a part of a mission in our lives. You don't have to be a pastor to have a mission. We all have a mission. And stories of hillsides. Hillside has, I mean, this whole 23-year journey we've been on, it has, it has, it's part miracle, it's part mess, it's part sacrifice, it's part blessing. It's just all mixed in. It's a huge 23-year history here of God, of, you know how God is. He pulls away sometimes, and then sometimes he shows up, but you just never know what he's going to do. Um, the setting up and tearing down for years, we I used to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to write my talks at IHOP. I would, I would study all week long through Friday, and then on Sunday mornings at 3 a.m., I'd go to IHOP. I did this for seven years. Go to 3 a.m. to 6, at 6, go over to the school we were in, set up that thing for one service, and then we'd do one service, and then we'd come back and do, and it would be, take it all down. We had to rent scaffolding. It was a massive event every single week. For one service, it took from 6 a.m. to 1 p.m. to pull off one service every day. That's an incredible story. I got a group of people that I'll never forget who made that happen every week. I'll tell you in a great story you ought to have in the back of your head thinking about Hillside. When we were desperate toward that sixth year, we were looking for land desperately where we were going to build, and I'll never forget this guy in my small group. You know, he's not with us anymore. You'll understand that in a minute. But anyway, he, he, uh, he said, I think God, you know what God told me? God told me if we march around that land on 377 at Albertsons there, because where Albertsons is right now in Watauga there, on 377, Verizon, all that stuff, it was, all, it was nothing on 377 when we first got here. It was a big old patch of land right there. We were looking for land, and he said, I think God, God told me if we walk around that thing seven times, he's going to give it to us. We were like, oh, yay, God spoke to somebody. Because we ain't hearing anything. And so what we did, we put a little group of people, a tiny group of people, just a handful of people knew it. And we all, we went, so that Sunday after church, after that long day, go, we pulled up to that property. It was a hot summer day. And it wasn't pretty cut grass. This thing looked like the jungles of the Amazon. I mean, it was a big old mess and nasty. And Jeff Wakefield was leading this thing. You tell Jeff God told you to do it, and he's going. He didn't even think about it. He just goes. He, got, he had those coaching shorts on that came up to here. Remember those polyester coaching shorts? <laughs> Come up to about right here, and he had flip-flops on because that's Jeff. And he had a T-shirt on. 
And so I pull up, and there's Jeff standing there with a couple of people, and I pull up, and, the, and we're getting ready to walk this thing. We've been planning it now for a week. And we get around this land, and, and as soon as I get out of the car, and there's no lie, I, I get a phone call because there, there was a catastrophe happened in somebody's life in this church, and I had to leave. So I, I had to leave. I had to get to a family that was hurting. And so... Uh, they walked around it. I didn't see or hear anything about it until that night I, got, I went over to Jeff's house. And when I walked in the door, <laughs> he was covered in red welts and bites and all kinds of chigger things. And he had fallen, took a face plant in there one time. And got, I mean, he was a wreck. He was a human wreck. <laughs> and he goes, you left me there. That's what he did. You left me there. And I said, God was protecting me. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you've done. Anyway, that's one of those stories that will never leave my head. We used to, I'll tell you, the elders used Jeff. For, okay, Jeff, let's see if Jeff will do it. Remember Mikey in the commercials, the cereal commercials? That's Jeff Wakefield. Oh, you want me to knock that down for you? I'll knock it down. That's Jeff. So you know what we do now? You know what's a great way to, you know, I'm thinking a great way to memorialize that? Is look at seven bottles of calamine lotion and just put them together with a bow around them because he was covered in that stuff. Oh, it was hilarious. Uh, speaking of him, you want to see something really cool? Uh, you know, Jeff, Jeff's oldest son, or no, second son, child, Kyle, uh, who's also here at Hillside, his, uh, his wife, Angie, her father, Jerry, is an elder at another church. So they've got two grandfathers that are elders in churches. Uh, I want you to see a legacy that they're leaving to their kids. Watch this video. You'll love it. A little study that we have started probably in about 2009. Uh, my son-in-law, Daniel, uh, asked me if I would meet with him uh, to study the Bible and began to grow. And eventually we got to the point where it wasn't just the fathers, grandfathers, and boys. We had the granddaughters coming too, and then the wives uh, came. And we started uh, having an entire uh, group of, well, actually three to four families meeting together. So about 20 people when we're all here. Well, I know for, for me, what was so important was the fact that we had the opportunity again to, to share together uh, with our children because we don't know how long we're going to be here. You know, the, the time frame that God gives us to be on this, uh, on earth. And so for me, uh, the fact that we can invest this time uh, as a family or as families together and uh, really understand God's word, uh, this was an opportunity for me, uh, along with uh, Jerry, I, I think, to invest in that spiritual legacy that was so important for our families. We take a passage of scripture and uh, we have it read by all of the kids that are able to read and they take turns reading different sections of that passage. But see it to you that you are not alarmed, such things that must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over and be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all the nations because of me. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. 
And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. The kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Fundamentally, it is about asking them questions about the passage they just read to get them thinking about what they've just read, and some of them have some pretty good answers. I, I think the best way to look at it is, Jerry and I think both in terms of, of the legacy that we get to leave for our grandchildren. So this is our opportunity again to create and invest in that heritage, that future, and get that return back and know that even though we may not be here uh, in future years, we're hoping to talk about in terms of God's word will be, be planted in their hearts. Isn't that awesome? That's the kind of thing that if you're, if you're a parent or a grandparent in here, you're thinking, we have got to make sure we're passing the faith on. They do that every Sunday morning. I've been doing it for nine years, just like that. It's just a powerful, powerful thing. And, you know, it's not just powerful, it's strategic. Joshua gets these people across the land, and the first thing they do is think about the future generation. These kids aren't even here yet. That's what they're thinking about. So I want to just, you know, you ought to read Psalm 71. We don't know who wrote it. He's an older man. He's aging. He's going through a crisis now, but he's reflecting on all that God has done since he was a kid. You'll see the phrase, since I was a youth. And then he just describes his life as he's reflecting on it, and here's the passion of the text. is God, I don't want you to stop working in my life. Yes, I have a history with you, but right now I need you. And this is what he says about verse 17 and 18, about about why he needs God still to be working in his life now. He says this, Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So there's looking at the past. So even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, don't forsake me now. I don't want to live on past faith. I want to be able to proclaim your might to the next generation and your power to those to come. You could see there's this, this is what your faith should look like. It should have a history that you draw from. But it should have a strong present that you can pass on to the future. And a believer is thinking about all three of those phases of his life at all times. And you'll get vulnerable if either one of those on either end of the spectrum isn't working. You're cut off from either the future or the past. Because something's going to happen in the present. Or maybe nothing's going to happen in the present. Just a powerful image. You know, so we're building this building, and I just want to remind you. I'm going to do it every week. I'm going to remind you what we're doing. March 3rd and 4th, we will gather together and promise together as a congregation what we're going to give. March 3rd and 4th. That's a Sunday morning. And then uh, our goal is $5 million. And what we want to do with that $5 million is we're going to pay the mortgage for three years that we have now. We're going to pay 10% principal on the mortgage we have now, and we're going to build a new building, but we're going to do it without debt. And if you're going to do it without debt, You've got to approach it a completely different way. In March 25th, we're going to take the first offering. That's First Fruit Sunday. We're trying to, just be honest, get the, the most money we possibly can because if we're going to do this without debt, you've got to do it as fast as you can. You don't want to lose energy and momentum, and you don't want it to cost more. So you've got to put as much money out there as you can so that you can start the project. And especially if you're going to do it 
without debt. What we're building is a two-story building. I will eventually show you incredible renderings of that in this series. It's a two-story building over here. The, the architectural drawings have been sort of finalized this week. They looked amazing, very well thought out. Um, we've got resources saved, so that $5 million will be added to the resources we already have saved so that we can do all three of those things I mentioned to you. Our discipleship program and outreach, we've got an outreach person on staff now starting January 1. So our discipleship and outreach plans for adults and kids are working. This building will do more than just work for kids. It benefits both. Uh, on Wednesday mornings now, there's much more space for the ladies' studies. And on uh, Wednesday nights, there's much more room. You know, the kids use this room in here on Wednesday nights. This room's taken. And they use all that community space, and they use the fireside room. Well, once we have this, all that will be freed up for us to do more for adults on Wednesday night. So it benefits all of us. Um, I wanted to show you, too, the roads, because this is part of this deal. Uh, you can see right here. I mean, all of this parking is not here now. This is just gravel right now. Uh, but this will, all this parking will be here, and then the road will come all the way around, and it will lead to the other side, so we'll actually have a little better flow on the property than we have right now. So we're excited about that. Um, in fact, last week I told you that one of the other things that's really cool in terms of timing is that Walmart went in down there on Golden Triangle, and they're going to eventually you know, widen this road. It'll be four-lane. It'll connect up here to you know, Ray White, and, and then it'll connect uh, over here at Alta Vista, and it'll become one major road. And Cody, last week after that, took a great f uh, photo. He gra grabbed a drone, and he went over uh, from here, flew it over to there, uh, and you can see this right here, this is 1709 right here. So if you're going this direction toward Keller, go through these two circles now. Walmart's on your right, you'd get up to 377. Here's the road that they've built that runs, it's going to run right by Hillside. This is all brand new, four lane, and they're almost completed it, but you can see it uh, as the drone continues. So they're almost done with the road, you can see that. Then it comes around there, and here's where we are now. There's the, there's the mess at the other end of the street right here. That circle right there. By March, this road will come. This will be completed. The circle will be done by the end of March. And these four lanes here will be done. The circle will be done. And there'll be only one lane here. That'll start to drive people crazy. And then eventually, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll finish the project right here in the four lanes. That means we're going to have, we got 25% of the people that come to Hillside now are drive-bys. So that's going to increase that. We want to be ready for them when they come. Uh, let's see. Oh, I'm sorry. What did I do? I did something. <laughs> All right. So you can see where our church was, but I want, can we show it? Is it going to get, did it mess up? I messed it up. All right. So here we go. Let's just run it. Yeah. Get to the end. So when you get to the end of our property, this is what will be built on there. So it's just very exciting. The most fruitful years Hillside potentially is going to have uh, will be the next five to ten years when you think of all that going on. It's very well done. Uh, so we're just very excited about that. And listen, just some of the studies I've done as you're thinking about this whole legacy thing. Um, International Bible Society, Barna Group, of, you know, Barna wrote that book, Transformed Children into Spiritual Champions. Do you know what they're saying about these crucial years in kids' lives, these young ones? 85% of people who give their lives to Christ, think about this, do it between ages 4 and 14. That's what that, uh, the yellow part of that graph represents. If you were to take a survey of people who are Christians right now in America, 94% of them would say they gave their life to Christ before 18. Now you think about that. 
and the investment that this is into the future uh, of, of Hillside. And the other thing that I thought was really interesting about that was they, the, you know, you'd think the young ones abandon the faith. The, the young ones keep the faith longer than people who are older than them and, get, and give their life to Christ. That was an incredible part of the stat. Like what we're doing and building into our kids, what you saw them doing here to give is the beginning. By the time they're 13, their values and beliefs are pretty shaped. You know, they'll wander a little bit and, you know, like we all do, figure things out, but they're, they're in their core. Just very, very powerful. Uh, so I think this legacy thing is the most important investment we'll make at Hillside. I think we'll all believe that the planning and the sacrificing for the future generations will be mission strategic, and we'll be glad we did it. Reminds me of what Jesus said in Luke 18 when the disciples were trying to sort of stand around Jesus while he was teaching, and a bunch of people bring their babies and kids. They were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them, and Jesus called them, Permit the children to come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, will not enter it at all. And three things stand out. Don't hinder the kids. Make a clear path to me for them. The second thing is, is kids have spiritual viability. That was in a culture where they didn't even start teaching kids until they were 12. They were a nuisance till then. Uh, Jesus is saying, they have spiritual viability. In fact, I'm not trying to get them to be more like you. I'm trying to get you to be more like them. It's profound. So, anyway, as we close this up, let me say, um, I love the, 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 the feel and the passion of a person who would say, I have a history in my faith, I've got a present faith right now, and I have my eye on the future. Hillside, that's what we always have to be doing as believers. You're somewhere in that continuum, but you don't get to let one piece of it go. But right now in the present, we need to be living the kind of life. So here's my question to you. What are you whispering to God under your breath in the course of a day? You've got to get to the point where you're not just saying, God, get me through this day. It's got to be bigger than that. We're all trying to get through the day. Most days are tough. But we've got to be whispering under our breath, God, do something great in us. Lead us to some place where we get to share the faith, where we get to uh, make a sacrifice, where we get to envision something bigger than ourselves so we have something to pass on to the kids to the next generation. So what are you asking him for? Why you bow your heads? And Father, as we come before you, we just think about that right now. Lord, just help us under our breath to be whispering to you. Lord, do something in us. Do something great. Use me. Send me. I want you to be active in my life. So I'm not just living off the faith of the past. I want your mighty hand to be working so that we fear you. And we have something to pass on. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, you've never been even nowhere in on that continuum. You know, we don't s- celebrate and look at a memorial like stones today. When we look at we take the Lord's table typically, You're looking at what Christ did for us. This was all a picture of what Christ would ultimately do for us. And now we get to look back on what he has done for us. And Hebrews says, fix your eyes on him. 
who endured the cross, despised the shame for the joy set before him. And then he looks at you and says, so run the race with endurance. It's the only way we're going to do it. We look to Christ. So I'm asking you today, if you don't know him personally, you can right now ask him to be your Savior. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who doesn't know you. Even now in their own hearts, between you and them, right now, they'll surrender their life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.